episode 22 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the worlds of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality today. This episode is with Paul Merino of Onext here in Barcelona, maker of an innovative circular economy building material that makes use of paper mill waste. A youthful, upbeat and driven leader, Paul speaks passionately about their mission to convert waste into practical yet aesthetically appealing building materials, specifically partition boards, that combine form, function and a respect for the environment. Showing that there's an alternative to linear economy construction materials that often do off-gas during their lifetime and always end up in landfill at the end of their life, Onext have developed an online presence that breaks conventions in many ways. So be sure to check out onextmaterial.com for their nature-inspired branding. The product is cradle-to-cradle certified, meaning it meets the highest standards in sustainability and the zero environmental impact factory can now, in theory, be replicated in multiple locations, always close to another paper mill all around Europe over the coming years. If you enjoy this type of content, please consider subscribing and you can find me online at mattmorley.net. Nada más. Here is Paul Marino from Onext. Paul, really excited to have you on today. Thanks for sharing a bit of your time. Um, You know, your brand seems to really, it's incredibly well communicated online and it comes across, it's just a beautiful bit of work. And yet you're dealing with something that's quite you know, the material itself, you're managing to to somehow create this narrative around it. And that was what appealed to me personally. And that was why I wanted to connect with you today. I'm not going to try and describe what you do. Why don't you give us like the quick 30 second description of what Onyx does? Thank you, Matt, for, for having us here today. What we do, it's pretty simple, actually. We get something that people consider waste and transform it into a material which has a lifespan of 25 years and can be perpetually recycled. So our goal is how can we, we try and do things better in the, especially in the construction industry where it's way too traditional and way too few changes have happened in the, in the last years. So when you think about what the, the main environmental problems are then with building materials, uh, for those of us who are involved in this world, you know, we can sometimes, even me, I'm sometimes surprised at, at the, the health risks or the, the issues with recycling of some of the materials that are very, very common in most buildings, especially in developing regions. Like from your perspective, like what's the, what's the problem you're trying to fix? What we are trying to fix is that it is a way too linear economy. Uh, over the last years, construction has grown drastically, exponentially. And, that, and, the, and the companies that were manufacturing the materials, what they have tried to do is increase productivity by, and reduce costs. Just looking at the next step of, their, of what they're producing, and that is once it is installed. So they make products that, let's say, mechanically meet everything that needs for that application, but that's all they care. It's, let's say, to us, it makes no sense because, for instance, during the life cycle or, or during the application of a material, it has an impact on people's health. And those companies, uh, but they didn't look into it, uh, into volatile compounds, emissions, especially. And, and it has, some of them have proven cancer. Other, there are also studies showing that um, internal indoor environments with no emissions make people more productive. And it's not just that, but also that once the, those materials, I mean, 
construction materials, we renew buildings pretty often. The way they are thought till now, they always end up in a landfill because when you try to reduce cost and when, when all your only driver to increase capacity is let's reduce cost, you end up mixing the worst things that may come to your mind. And again, that will give good mechanical properties, but that's it. It, it, it destroys any potential reuse of the, of the raw materials in, in, those, in those construction materials. Okay, so I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing two parts to this. Then one is the increasingly talked about, but actually really not very well understood by by the the majority of 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 yeah, I think you're sort of your average person and even those working in real estate that there is a health impact of materials that we use in the construction of the building and also in the fit out and interior. So on one side, the impact on us as users and occupants, yeah. but then the other end is more. Well, how is how is the material created, and what happens to it at its end of life, right? Which is kind of where the landfill and circularity piece comes in. And how have you tried to change the game? How are you trying to change the approach of the industry with what you do at Onyx? Okay, yeah, indeed, those are the two problems, and we tried to change. Like when we're a startup, and when we thought how we wanted to do things, we design that so that the whole model, everything that we do, would have a positive impact on those. And let's say on the application side, the main problem with current materials is that they use resins. And I mean, normally they, uh, most of them, especially wood-based materials, they use virgin fibers as raw material. Then they mix them together with resins, either formaldehyde-based or not, apply a lot of heat and pressure. And then this material, due to the resin and, and the heat and pressure applied, it keeps on emitting formaldehyde or other volatile organic compounds over the whole lifespan of the while it is used. And that uh, to us, the way we, let's say, went around this and avoided it was when we started designing our process, we thought first thing, is it, kind of, it cannot have any resin because without resin, we solve both problems. We avoid emissions, but again, as, as we do not mix a virgin material with a when you mix it with a resin, it's impossible to separate. And that's why it ends up in a landfill. So if we avoid resins, we solve both problems at once. So our initial research was on how can we achieve the mechanical properties needed in for the for indoor applications as, as, as partitions without resins. And what we came up was on, uh, on enzymes that allow us to increase the cellulose fibers, natural ability to link among them. And so, so leaving aside the, the resin piece, then the raw material itself is coming from? It's waste. We take the end of life of paper fiber. So that we work with paper mills using recovered paper as raw material. There is a, a small fraction that they can no longer use because it has been too damaged. And that's the one that we use as raw material. So what you might call, say, like a, a byproduct of an existing industry that would otherwise presumably go to landfill itself? Yeah, well, it's actually, it's their main industrial waste and it depends a bit on the country and regulations and it goes to landfill, others burn it to generate thermal power. But at the very end, the, the only thing paper mills do with it is, is get paid to get rid of it. So we up, actually upcycle it and generate a material that where we don't damage those fibers anymore. And that allows us to, to keep on using them for several uh, cycles.
And so then you're, um, it'll be interesting to understand that process, right, of how you take paper waste, uh, your alternative resin or the, a way to bind it together. And then out the other end comes effectively partition boards, yeah. right? But so to those who perhaps don't necessarily understand where those sit within the context of an interior space, like where where are the partition boards around us and how, do, how does the construction industry use them? Because it's a, they're, they're pretty dominant, yeah. right? And, and, and they're actually pretty simple. I mean, partition boards are the walls and ceilings you get to see. That's it. And, and they are, they're non-structural materials. So it's not that you need a super strong board there because it doesn't actually, the main properties of partition boards are reaction to water and reaction to fire because in water, you don't want them to, let's say, move in case there's humidity changes because you would see the, the joints and reaction to fire, obviously, because it's the first protection especially for the room next to you. So those are the main properties there. That's why uh, right now we do not meet the, the mechanic. We still do not have the mechanical strength of an, of an MDF, but we have a better reaction to fire, uh, to water and to fire. We have a lower dilation when due to humidity changes. And that's why the material itself is perfect for partitioning. And, and it also, because to us, it makes no sense for, for such a, let's say a simple application, it makes no sense to cut down trees and generate mountains of waste. And besides, because construction or, or, let's, or refurbishing of buildings nowadays, we really often change the distribution, the distribution inside the in, inside houses and offices. So even though drywall may have a 50 years lifespan, I don't think it has ever been installed and, and been in place for 50 years. So we really need on those places that are, let's say, flexible, we need to put materials that meet all the requirements, but at the same time with the lowest environmental impact. I noticed that you've you've taken this really unique approach of of presenting the the product. So you're presenting these the partition boards as almost the design object in itself, right? in terms of how you communicate, yeah. and I, that that really stands out because you're typically yeah. It, Partition boards are something that happens, you know, we then cover them yeah. up. Right? We, we don't necessarily look at them. Whereas you've, you've tried to elevate, mm. it seems, the, the aesthetics into and almost bring it so that it can, it can stand by itself as, as potentially yeah. something that you wouldn't necessarily cover. Is that right? Yeah, and that's our goal right now because, I mean, obviously we're a we have a small production and we want to be seen. I mean, we do believe it adds value and being with the production that we have right now it's we want to be there and we want we want to work with people who understand like that waste or, or let's say that residues are not something to get rid of but something that can be beautiful and can be installed and adds a lot of value to their to their buildings and also because the the lower the post-processing that we do to any material we reduce the environmental impact and also we we the easiest it is to recycle Say, for instance, uh, wood can be uh, wood would be uh, MDF could be recycled, but at the moment that we paint on it or that we add a melamine layer on top of it, okay, that's it's done for it. It's, it. It goes to a landfill because it's afterwards it's way too complicated to to recycle. Drywall could be recycled, but when we paint on it, then we add we screw it to an aluminum structure in the back. It's it actually the all this complicates the recycling process, and that's the, those companies say, "I do no longer want to 
have a headache of trying to separate those compounds. And so I'd rather throw it to landfill. And that's why... So by removing... So you then effectively provide the option of, of just letting it be yeah. in its raw state. And yeah, and we are actually also working with, with woodworking industrials that allow for those... Obviously, I mean, partitions have to be painted sometimes. So we, have, we are working with industrials that paint the boards and that can install it in a way where, for, in, for first point, we ensure that anything that is added to Honex meets the highest sustainability criteria. And here we are based on the product-to-product certification. And then that any step that or any post-processing that is done to it never jeopardizes the possibility to recycle the material. Like that's by, let's say, by tracing what happens to Honex after it leaves our factory, we ensure that once this, once it reaches its end, we can put it back in the process and make a new board out of it. So we we touched on it a little earlier, but that production process then of, of water, uh, sorry, waste fiber mm -hmm. and, and water, and you're creating a new material in, in the very sort of simplest of terms, like how does that work? Because you're based near Barcelona, mm -hmm. you have your main factory there, and that's where you're sort of starting yeah. this. So what's happening in that space? Like, what is that process? Okay. I mean, think of when you would take paper, if you throw some water in it and you shape it when it's dry, it has some mechanical properties. I mean, it, it keeps that shape. So a bit what we, it's, it's, let's say that's a similar process to what we do. We take the, the sludge from the paper mills nearby our factory, we dilute it in water. And what we do is we add enzymes, proteins on this, wood, on this fiber dilution that increase this natural ability of the fiber to link among them. So say uh, this paper that you would shape, when, if we put the enzymes, it's 10 times stronger afterwards. Then we shape it. It's, an, it's like, let's say it's a mold with pressure and vacuum, and we dry it. And that's our process. I mean, when we, when, we, and when we dry this, when we generate the mechanical properties, because it's a moment when, we remove, when, the, when you remove water through heat of, of the cellulose fibers, hydrogen bonds are generated. And those are the ones that we maximize to, to ensure the, the mechanical properties of the, of the board. So it's actually a pretty simple process. It's nature-based because all the enzymes we use come from very common microorganisms in the in the nature. But it's also what allows us, I mean, I'd say it's simple and it's nature-based. And that's thanks to that, it can it, it it follows all the nature cycle where we can recycle, where we can, I mean, nature when the things that happen in nature, they can be undone. I mean, there is Nature has found a way to do them and, and, and to, let's say, undo them. So it's about, let's copy that in our recycling strategy. So how can we make something really good, but at the same time, at the end of its life, get it back. And that's why to us, the enzymes were, were the key. You know, I do, I do a lot of work with the biophilic design interiors, whether it's a gym or a, or a co-working space. And, you know, I'm always trying to describe what that means to, to, to a client. And for me, like when you have, what you just described sounds to me like biophilia or that connection to nature yeah. because nature just has it worked out, right? It's, it's not going to harm itself. Yeah. Therefore, it's, it's going to be like environmentally friendly and sustainable. And it doesn't really want to harm one component of itself, which is the human being. So it's healthy on one side. It's natural in the kind of, which is mm -hmm. the, the bridge between the two. But at the same time, it's not damaging uh, to the environment. Yeah. So I think that that sort of triangle is a really interesting space to be operating mm -hmm. in. You mentioned the idea of, of these like healthy certifications. I know that's something that you follow, for example, cradle to cradle. Mm -hmm. So what, what role, how important 
is that to have a third party certification for for a new product when when you're sort of in the in the launch phase of a of a business needing that that name to what does it offer to you is it like a quality guarantee yeah it, it, it is key it's an external validation that we do things the best way we can because uh, over the past few years and also now there's been a lot of greenwashing i mean obviously the companies in the market they have their approach has been okay let's try to reduce the harm we are doing it we and, and so and they have more powerful a more powerful voice than we do have so the key to differentiate and to really explain why we do things not like not we don't reduce impact but from design we generate a positive impact was to target cradle to cradle achieving silver and also understanding what was needed to become gold and that's something that we are gonna it's gonna happen next year but not just that the second point was that uh it's we took it in our dna we were born sustainable and that's it's when we created honex that was the main driver but we also needed the standard to be able to easily explain it to the public and to ask cradle to cradle was that and Whereas many companies, let's say they have a huge portfolio of products and one of them is their, is their sustainable boards. The other is the one with a lot of emissions. We, at everything that we do, any product that we, land, we launch meets all cradle to cradle criteria. So for us, it was also really good to, to have these uh, protocols that were easy to explain to the public. And for instance, cradle uh, to cradle has a, a banned substances list of over 400 substances. Anything that comes in our process, I mean, when we want to make a, say, a increased fire reaction, mechanical strength, any additive that we test, the first screen that it goes is through that. If it has any of those one substances, it does not go in the process. And so it's not just that we could communicate to the public, hey, we are, it's not just us saying that we have a super, like, environmentally friendly process and, and product, but Crawl to Crawl has certified it, and we've learned a lot from it to ensure that anything that we launch it's more and more sustainable becomes almost like a like a certified organic food right it sort of it tells you the whole story it tells you the background of how you got there and it in in very short even just in a symbol it says okay this is this is a product and therefore behind that product there's a business and an organization that has really really taken this message to its heart mm-hmm. because yeah cradle the cradle is not an easy uh, certification for sure. And I, I recommend anyone who hasn't read the book, that's also a really yeah. good intro to, to that, that world. So stepping back then to the organizational level, I was fascinated to see that you've managed to do this. You've, get, you've got on board early with the negative carbon footprint. A lot of businesses are now talking about how they're going to reduce their carbon emissions over the next five to 10 years in line with the UN Sustainable mm. Development Goals, etc. But you're already doing it. You're already out there. So Describe that process. Like that was obviously part of your mission from the beginning. Yes, and, and especially as a startup where we have few things to find, it was, let's say, it, it was really hard to to. In the only sorry, let let me rephrase it. The only way we could ha- we could be uh, have a positive impact without having a historical data was to go to an extreme, and that's why the factory that we have we built it in a landfill where all the energy we use, the electricity and heat, comes from waste. We generate biogas from the digestion of organic waste, and that's all the energy that we use. But not just that. Ours is a water-based process, so we need actually a lot of water. 
And what we do is all the leakage, uh, the, the leakages from the landfill, we clean them and that's our processed water. And once we have to clean it, we send it back to the water treatment station and they feed it back to us. So as, as we couldn't have, a, we couldn't, we, we didn't know what our consumptions would be of water, of heat, electricity. When we started the factory, we obviously had some hypotheses, but it, it was not no, nothing certain. So we said, okay, I mean, whatever it is, we have to find a way that it has no impact. And that's, and, and that was the beginning of it. And then this, Obviously, from a financial point of view, it was uh, more, much more expensive. We had to do a much bigger investment than if we had, would have gone to any industrial area and, and build a factory there. But it made it made sense, and it it is the way that that we see things. I mean, to us, it's not simply the the financial return of the startup, but it is that everything that we do makes sense from an from a circular point of view yeah it does make sense and and certainly looking from outside you know it, it just is very clear that that value system is running all the way through your business uh, you see other businesses that are perhaps moving as you say like they have one product or a product range that is in that sustainable space but then the rest of the organization hasn't had the time or you know they weren't built that way, and they have history behind them, and it's it's like a big ship that has to change direction. Whereas you had the opportunity, in a sense, to to start out on that same course, right? But so you knew what the product was going to be, and you had this value system at a at a corporate startup level. But then there's this piece in the in between around actually constructing the factory. Like so, who was involved in that? You had presumably a team of consultants to make that happen, because that piece is perhaps beyond your expertise in the yeah, we, product field? We had some of our shareholders that are industrial companies, they helped us a lot on that. And be, and also in, in the team, we had a, an in that, a person with a lot of industrial experience and they managed to build a factory. Having said that, we made lots of mistakes, but luckily we made them now because we've learned a lot from them. But clearly, I mean, it, it was, we had a lot of help internal and external to, to build it. Well, better to get it done, and uh, and then you're on the on the right yeah. path, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was so, actually, and that, that's a uh, because we have a, a the, the process patented. We had validated the the process in semi-industrial scale before building the factory as well as the material, but and and so we were like, instead of building us a factory, let's see if if, in, if an industrial, if a paper mill wants to do it, and they obviously back then they it, it was too risky for them. Paper mill companies have been running for hundreds of years and they know how to make paper and how to sell paper, but nothing else. And that's what, at a point, it forced us to build a proper industrial factory. And that, luckily, we had a lot of help. And, and now it, it makes a lot of sense because it gives us independence. It's a, we have the patent from one side, but we have learned so much on, the, on running an industrial side from the other. So as a company, it brought us much more value. And so how do you then expand beyond Spain, Barcelona, where you are now in terms of, is it, is it obviously there's the further you're exporting, the greater the impact mm. again on that, so, you know, the, the, the transportation and there's, a, there's an environmental question around that. So 
I know you're interested in the idea of doing it elsewhere yeah. and the idea is clearly to expand. So what does that look like for you as a business plan over the next five years? We have the, we are lucky because our raw material is, uh, is of the paper mill waste and paper mills have already, uh, the, let's say paper doesn't travel well, so they already did the effort to be close where their demand is and those are the big cities. Thus, we want to take advantage of this and instead of having a macro side of Honex here in Spain to reduce costs and then ship it all over, we have designed the technology in a way that it can be easily implemented inside or beside the paper mill locally and so that it transforms their waste right where it is produced. So actually, we avoid waste generation and, it, and the material it manufactures is just for the regional market because paper mills, let's say they normal or mid-sized paper mills, they generate 20 to 30,000 tons of this waste a year. In terms of material, in terms of partitioning, that's that's nothing in, in, a, in a national market. So that is what allows us, okay, by just, by being in a paper mill, what, whatever they generate stays in their country because it, it, it actually will not meet all the demand there. And that's the way that we see of avoiding the impact of transportation that I think it's, it's over a one third globally in terms of, of CO2 emissions. And on the other side, also of empowering local industrials that now have a problem for, because the, the paper mill industry in the last years, there has been a, a lot like five companies growing a lot and it's a bit of an oligopoly and, and killing, let's say, the small to mid-sized companies. And those are the ones that are really struggling with paying the waste and everything. So it also allows us to, to collaborate with them, empower their production, for them to make a, a avoid gener the generation of any waste and make a product for the local market and to us also from a, from a, to acquire the knowledge their industrial knowledge which is huge so it's a it's, we generate a really a win-win it sounds like a great model i mean it's fully scalable yeah. right i mean you, you could do you could do 10 of those just in europe if you, if you wanted yeah, to yeah because besides the technology itself we we've, we've been working a lot on that it would like let's say the line would be modular it's not, we don't want to, we, we're not going to engineer uh, a production line based on the needs of each paper mill. But instead of that, we're going to replicate what we already have, that we know it works. We know how it works. We know its production in different paper mills. And that's, this allows for a fast scalability because we, otherwise, if we engineer a site, construct and everything, that goes, that is easily three years. If you just replicate something that it's working, you can do so in a year. Hmm. Nice. One final question for you. I was, um, I've noticed that you're involved in what's called the European Green Bauhaus. Mm. And talk to us a bit about that. First of all, like, what is it and how did you get involved and what are the benefits for you in being part okay. of that? It, it's a project that it's, uh, it's going to happen in the next three to five years where we want to build three, uh, three sustainable neighborhoods over Europe in three different latitudes that, let's say, represent all the weather that we see in Europe. So it's let's try to, to build small neighborhoods that with the best environmental impact in terms of energy efficiency, waste production, and so on, and that afterwards serve as a model to replicate all over Europe and thus improve a lot the, the impact of, of construction. And we got involved in it because back in 2018, we were awarded um, a European grant be, as they consider us one of the most promising startups in the, in the environmental field. And this put us in contact with 
lots of actors over Europe with construction companies. And by the end of last year, this opportunity occurred. It's actually a project that it's, we are, we would like it to be partially, partially funded by the, by the green deal and it's, and we are working on it, but it's, we are 20 companies all together. We, it's the, the neighborhoods will happen in, in Finland, France, and in Spain. And we bring in the expertise on, on really circular materials and the challenges. Actually, we have been challenged to make boards for flooring and for external uses. Wow, man, it's going to be an interesting few years for you. I can see yeah. that. It's uh, yeah, Look, I don't know. It just looks like you could be in the right place, the right time, and you've got a great product and a great business and brand profile already. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. I know it probably hasn't been easy, but, but uh, you're smiling. And it's. I think, yeah, now it's going yeah, to be a very exciting few years for you guys. Thanks, Matt. It, it's been challenging, but we've learned a lot. We've made an amazing team, and, and I agree with you. Now it's the momentum. I mean, it's a momentum for us and for other, for the companies in similar stage like ours in the environmental. I mean, people are looking at us. The, the market is starting to react because five years ago, you talked sustainability in Spain. <laughs> they laughed at your face. And, and there was a reason for that. We suffered the biggest crisis in 2008 and it was due to construction. So no one wanted to fear construction and, and innovation in construction. Well, that was, but now people are starting to understand we are, over the last year, we have been locked in the house for several days in a row. So we get more concerned on what's happening there on those in, indoor environments. And it, it is the moment. It is the moment. And we really look, we're really excited about what is to come in the, in the next years. So in terms of communication online, if people want to reach out, learn more, connect with you guys, what's the best route? Uh, I would say if, you can, if they can contact us through our website or we also have social media that they, we, if, if anyone has any Instagram, you can see some of our projects, also the materials that we use. If you have questions, you can contact us from anywhere because we will respond. We'll put the links in the show notes. Paul, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Matt.